Father, fill us with your word and continue to speak in this service, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Build up your church and continue to use us in the world for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Ross Guthrie. I'm the rector at the Anglican Church of the Holy Trinity in North Augusta, South Carolina. And I've known Zach since he was a college student at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. I was a pastor to Zach in what was then a non-denominational church. I bring that up because it bears some importance on how God has directed me to begin this pastoral charge to Zach. I was a non-denominational pastor for nearly 18 years. I was around Zach's age when I began. And I recently told a pastor that I had been a non-denominational pastor for 18 years, and he said, well, that probably was a great 15 years of ministry, right? (laughs) Meaning that the last three years were the worst three years of ministry for me personally for a number of reasons. And as a pastor back then, I was raising a large family. My wife and I have 10 children, uh, which means that I was always struggling financially to support my family as I helped to shepherd our congregation. The final two years at that church, I was supported full-time, but it really didn't make the ends meet. And I had, but I did have time to think for a moment as I laid down my remodeling business and could apply my life to shepherding full-time. I lived fairly close to the church, and so I thought it was a good idea financially to buy a scooter. And everyone in, everyone in Europe rides a scooter, I reasoned to myself, right? But as Mike Rowe said in comparing moving a mattress to riding a scooter, it's all fun and games until someone sees you doing it, all right? I was riding my scooter to the office one day when I stopped at a stop sign, and I glanced over to a group of Hispanic workers who were all laid out in a yard of the homeowner they were working for. I contemplated the nobility of good and honest work and the good rest that these men were having at the moment. And then one particular worker and I met eyes. And then he promptly dropped his head, shook it back and forth, and laughed as if he couldn't imagine a man riding a scooter. (laughs) The humiliation on my part was unbearable. Well, fast forward four years or so later, I had made my break from that non-denominational church into into Anglicanism. My family and I were confirmed in 2014 into the Anglican Communion, And I was brought on staff as a priest of spiritual formation at All Saints Anglican Church. In non-denominational life, finances were tough. Our buildings were normally sparse and functional. No bishops, no real authority. But now, I was in Anglicanism. We had bishops and robes and collars and, and liturgy and beauty. I was treated generously financially from the first day. And then it happened. One of our parishioners put a motorcycle out on our church lawn with a sign that said for sale. Now, I didn't ride a motorcycle, but if I did, I'd always pictured riding a motorcycle like this one. It had a silver body, black leather saddlebags on the side. It wasn't too big. It was perfectly sized, and it was a beautiful machine. And most importantly, it wasn't a scooter. Here was a metaphor for my pastoral life. As a non-denominational pastor, I rode a scooter. But now in Anglicanism, I'm riding a motorcycle. (laughs) 
And so I negotiated a price and bought the motorcycle. I spent the next three weeks learning how to ride that motorcycle from a friend of mine who had ridden motorcycles since he was a boy. And then the day that I had longed for was upon me. My friend dropped by the house one Sunday afternoon and asked if I wanted to go ride. I hopped up from my dining room table and said, let's ride. Now, I'm not much of a risk taker. The most risky and dangerous thing I'd done to this point was to raise 10 kids with my wife, Catherine. I wasn't into speed and and being dangerous, and so we rode off like old men. We didn't go over 45 miles per hour the whole ride. And about 20 minutes into my first ride, I was rounding a corner. I swung out too far, lost control in some gravel, and I laid it down, as bikers say. In the process, I broke all my ribs on my left side, on the front and the back, which is called a flailing chest. I I cracked my scapula, which is your shoulder bone. So eight broken bones in one shot. I was taken to a trauma center in Memphis, one of the best in the nation, I learned. And then I spent the next year recovering. Well, all of that happened four months before my ordination as a priest. As all Anglican priests do, I knew that I'd have to lay in the shape of the cross before the bishop as part of my vows. I didn't know if I'd be able to get up and down off the floor. I had months to lay around and think about the metaphor that I had conjured up in my own mind. Being a non-denominational pastor was riding a scooter. Being an Anglican priest was riding a motorcycle. God had smashed my prideful metaphor before I even had a chance to become a priest. And so on top of the shock of that reality, when it came to my day of ordination, I, I bought a new pair of shoes. Because as we all know, the quality of a man is known by his shoes, right? And so at my ordination, as I lay before the bishop in the shape of the cross with my classy new shoes, one can see in every photo that was taken that day the price tag stickers on the bottom of my shoes (laughs) that I forgot to remove. And so, I tell you that story, Zach Clemens, to say as loudly as I can, today is not a promotion. Today you are becoming a priest, and being a priest is a call to service. And this particular call to service begins with humility. We priests are not called to leadership as a step up in our life. God's call is a very lateral step into a life of service that was begun in our local congregation over the course of our life thus far. Zach, the call to priesthood is a call to serve God and his people with the gifts that you have been granted by God's grace and according to his Holy Spirit. For every local Christian community must have leadership. In the Christian community, this leadership is given by previous leaders and approved by the congregation. The responsibility to lead is a call to service and is given to those with a proven reputation in harmony with the scriptures. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A call to leadership in the Christian community is not an opportunity to exercise power, but a call to humble service and the care of souls. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet, for I give you an example that you should do also as I did to you. Well, in Numbers 11, God allowed Moses to choose 70 men from the elders of Israel to help in his task of leading the Israelite people. 
These men were chosen from among the elders or the presbyteroi. A priest or a presbyter comes from among the people of God. So the missionary priest Vincent Donovan asked, what is a priest? Is he not simply a man taken from among men to stand for them, to signify and focus for them the meaning of life of the people of God in community? And Carl Rahner is often uh, quoted in regards to the humanity of every priest. The priest is not an angel sent from heaven. He is a man chosen from among men and a member of the church, a Christian. Remaining human and Christian, he, be, he begins to speak to you the word of God. The word is not his own. No, he comes to you because God has told him to proclaim God's word. Perhaps he has not entirely understood it himself. Perhaps he adulterates it. But he believes. And despite his fears, he knows that he must communicate God's word to you. For must not some of us say something about God, about eternal life? Must not some of us speak of sin and the love and the mercy of God? That's Carl Rahner. And it is to this type of priest or presbyter that St. Ignatius of Antioch refers to in his second century letter to the Trallians. Let everyone respect the deacons as Jesus Christ, just as they should respect the bishop with, who is a model of the Father, and the presbyters as God's counsel and as the band of the apostles. Without these, no group can be called a church. St. Ignatius not only confirms the threefold pattern of leadership, but also upholds the privilege of serving the people of God in, in this capacity. Be eager to do everything in godly harmony, the bishop presiding in the place of God and the presbyters in the place of the council of the apostles and the deacons who are so dear to me, having been entrusted with the service of Jesus Christ. Well, just as St. Ignatius linked the priest or presbyter's role with the apostles who received their authority to lead from our Lord Jesus Christ, so modern Anglican theology roots ordained ministry in the person of Jesus Christ. This approach to ordained ministry places ministry in a Christological context. This life and self-offering of Christ perfectly expresses what it is to serve God and man. All Christian ministry flows and takes its shape from that source and model. Christ is unique. He is our high priest. The priesthood of the church and the priesthood of its ministry are derived from the priesthood of Christ. Well, naturally, the implications of standing in the place of Christ can be overwhelming and insurmountable. Who among any congregation is worthy to stand in the place of Christ as a representative to the people of his service and love? With the psalmist, we are left wondering who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place. The answer of the psalmist has been the answer of the Christian church and in all of its scripture and its documents. Only a person of certain character demonstrated over time within the life of the local Christian community can serve that community as a priest or presbyter. Now, the proven character of a priest should resemble the requirements that the Apostle Paul attested to in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 12, and Titus 1, 6 through 9. And while an educated clergy is necessary and of great benefit, it is within each man's family that he learns to lead in the love of Christ. Leading an orderly, obedient, 
and loving family as an initial sign of a, of a person's fitness for, leadership, for leading in a Christian fellowship. And so my second charge to you, Zach, is this. Remember the order of your vows. You were first baptized into Christ, and you vowed yourself to follow Jesus. Your first allegiance is to Jesus himself. He is the lover, and you are beloved. And your second set of vows was made to Aaron. You and Aaron began a family when you entered the sacrament of marriage. It has been blessed now with four wonderful children. Let's hope for six more. You still have time. <clears throat> you have a second layer of allegiance to Aaron and your family. You are the lover, and Aaron is the beloved. Those precious little ones in your family are just like the church. They want all your time. They need they're lovely and hilarious and exasperating and exhausting, and the time you have with them is short and glorious and golden. I miss my kids so much, but I have my beloved, and so do you. In the end, by God's grace, it will be you and Aaron. So cherish her and guard her. Honor her, adore her, love and adore her as Christ loves and adores his people. Well, just as no one can take the office of a priest upon himself, so no one can be forced into it. And the vocation of a priest begins with a call to the ministry. And while this must come from God to each individual minister, such a call occurs within the context and life of a local Christian congregation or fellowship. A calling to the Christian priesthood is a communal call. It is given to the individual within the life of the local congregation. The starting point for the calling of each priest is in the community, not the individual. And so the ministerial priest, by his ordination, becomes essentially a community man, a servant of the community, a sign of the unity of that community, and a focal point of that unity. The church historian John Mormon offers a view of such a priest in the Middle Ages. The ordinary parish priest, simple, frugal, industrious, and neighborly, was undoubtedly loved and respected by his parishioners. Many of the clergy were of peasant stock and understood and were understood by their people. And so whatever the priesthood is, it is not a replacement of the people of God in every local expression to do, to do the ministry of the church. The service of a priest to his brothers and sisters in each congregation is, as we read, had read for us earlier, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. And for this reason, a priest is a gift to the local Christian congregation. However, the local congregation is a gift to each priest that serves that particular people. And through the love of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit, both priest and congregation serve one another to form their identity and their ministry. Again, as Father Vincent Donovan sums up, he sums up uh, this relationship in Christ perfectly. No Christian community can long exist without a priest. It is only now that I'm beginning to see that no priest can exist without a community. And so my final charge to you, Zach, is this. Be a pastor to God's people. Wherever you are, and wherever you end up. And by a pastor, I mean what the late Eugene Peterson means by a pastor. And he explains it this way. 
American pastors are abandoning their post left and right at an alarming rate. They're not leaving their churches and getting other jobs. Congregations still pay their salaries. Their names remain on the church stationery and they continue to appear in pulpits on Sundays. But they are abandoning their posts, their calling. They have gone whoring after other gods. What they do with their time under the guise of pastoral ministry hasn't the remotest connection with what the church's pastors have done for most of 20 centuries. The pastors of America have metamorphosed into a company of shopkeepers, and the shops they keep are churches. They are preoccupied with shopkeepers' concerns, how to keep the customers happy, how to lure customers away from competitors down the street, how to package the goods so that the customers will lay out more money. Zach, your calling as a pastor and a priest is to pray for your friends, God's people, his beloved church. You are called to impart the scriptures to them through the preaching and teaching and counsel of your life. And you're called to give them spiritual direction. They're busy working and raising their own families. And they have the added burden and privilege to fulfill their own ministries in the church and the world. Listen to them. Really listen to them in a way that requires you to not think about what you're going to say next. Just listen. Receive their concerns and their burdens and their anxieties, their bewilderment and anger and outrage and hurt and confusion as Christ himself would. For surely he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. And then pray for your friends, God's people, his beloved, the church. Impart to them the Holy Scriptures and give them spiritual direction. Help them to to fulfill their own callings and their own ministries their own lives and families. That is your calling. That is what a pastor does. And that's what it means to be a priest. Zach, you cannot be a priest unless you begin to participate in it in Jesus' name. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a second. And in the tradition of the Holy Scriptures, I'm going to invoke God's name upon you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.